0: morning to be able to speak to you about worship. Just excuse me for a moment while I open my Bible app because I do have a passage there do I need to read. I just want to grab that open to start with so that I've got it there. All right. We are continuing our sermon series this morning on what am I here for? Um, And as worship team coordinator and um, worship leader, I suppose, it makes sense for me to be covering this topic, but I'm actually not going to be speaking about music that much this morning. That's better, okay, right. Because that's not what worship is. Music is a tool that we use to express our worship, And, and I don't say that at all to, belittle um, music as worship, or the time that we spend here on a Sunday morning, uh, and hopefully that you guys would spend um, on your own during the week, worshipping through music. I, of all people, really love to express my worship through music. That is, that is really my space. I'm breathing. But today I want to talk to you about finding deeper worship. What is worship? What does it require of us? What is it really about and why is it so important? So first up, what is worship? Well, for starters, worship is not based on anything that we bring. Now, let me clarify that because what we bring is important but it's not the basis for nor the reason for our worship. He is God, oh, sorry, worship is simply Putting God in his right place, okay? He is God and I'm not. (laughs) And so anything that I bring needs to be in response to who he is and what he has done for me. God up here and nothing I do or am changes that. It doesn't matter if you can't sing in tune or if you feel unworthy or if you have junk and sin in your life that you are dealing with. Your fears, your anxieties, temptations and failings do not stop you from being able to come to God in worship any more than having your ducks in a row, your outfit schmick, and your life ordered makes your worship any more valid, okay? Just repeat that in case you didn't get it the first time. doesn't matter if you can't sing in tune or if you feel unworthy or have junk and sin in your life that you are dealing with, your fears, anxieties, temptations and failings do not stop you from being able to come to God in worship any more than having your ducks in a row, outfit schmick, and life in order makes your worship any more valid. And I know that we know this, right? We, we know this, but I think sometimes we forget it because Satan loves to come and shame us and tell us that we're not fit for the presence of God because of our lack, because we are not enough, because we have failed, because we haven't lived up to this impossible standard. And, and he'd be right, okay? To be absolutely clear, he's right, but that's kind of the point. Isaiah 64 6 says, All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Nothing we ever do can make us more or less worthy. Psalm 103 14 says, He, God, certainly knows what we are made of. He bears in mind we are dust. because this is kind of the point of the whole gospel message, yeah, right? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I want, I want you to sit with this for a moment and I'm gonna get Rochelle up to, um, to play. We're gonna, act, I'm actually gonna get everyone in the room or online, I want you to take a moment to just stop And contemplate that. That your worship isn't based on anything that you yourself bring. Because it is not about your worth or your success as a Christian. You are not, sorry, you are simply placing God in his rightful place. Him up here and me not. I'm gonna, um, as Rochelle plays briefly, I want everyone in here and at home to just close your eyes for a moment. And right where you're at, ask God to show you. I want you to think about the things in this life, past and present, that might make you feel like you aren't worthy of the presence of God. And I want you to ask God to show you what to do with that in light of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Because I can honestly say from experience, that while the devil deals in blame and shame. God deals in conviction and freedom. Ephesians 2 says Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins You used to live just like the rest of the world Full of sin, following the passions and desires of our evil nature But God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so very much That even while we were still dead because of our sins He gave us life When he raised Christ from the dead It is only by God's special favour that you've been saved He raised us from the dead along with Christ. And we are seated with him in the heavenly realms all because we are one with Christ Jesus. And so God can always point to us as examples, not of our goodness, but of the incredible wealth of his favour and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us, Christ Jesus for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing this is the, the gift of God and not a result of works so that none of us can boast thanks Rochelle so what is an appropriate response when we are faced with our own flawed condition with our failings and the stark reality that we ourselves are not enough. Well, there's two options really. One, we can harden our hearts, get stubborn and justify ourselves. Who's good at that one? Yeah? (laughs) I'm seeing some hands, there's hands all over the place. Okay, brings us to our second point, surrender and trust. Or we can humble ourselves and humbly, surre- we can humbly surrender to God, placing all of our flawed parts, our sinful desires, and our prideful ego at His feet, and ask Him to help us trust Him. When we really, honestly, are faced with our own sinfulness, and the beautiful, humbling, loving act of God sending his son to die in our place so that we can be clean. Our response, if we really get that, can only be awe, humility, immense gratitude, repentance, and worship. And can I say right now, right up front, sometimes that can be hard work. We don't always feel like we can or want to give up what God is wanting us to hand over. Whether that is fear, insecurities, temptation, or sin. Sometimes surrendering to God and trusting him can be really hard work. Obedience to God is not a trendy topic. We live in an age of self. What do I want? What do I feel? But can I say that unless our hearts and lives are surrendered to God, unless we have placed God where he belongs and us where we belong, and unless we are trusting him to call the shots, and laying ourselves down as living sacrifices in response to his love and the work of the cross, our worship is superficial, fragile, and shallow. That is harsh, but it is true. It's gotta cost you something. Whether it's giving up something that you wanted for yourself, or realizing that you are not quite as good as you thought you were, (laughs) and that you are still very much in need of grace and a savior, or whether it is taking your fears to God and trembling, asking him to give you the courage to do the things that He is calling you to that scare the pants off you. Luke 9.23 says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now through this, we've been looking um, loosely at um, the book The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And I wanna read a quote from there. He says, let me warn you, when you decide to live a totally surrendered life, that decision will be tested. Sometimes it will mean doing inconvenient, unpopular, costly and seemingly impossible tasks. And it will often mean doing the opposite of what you feel like doing. God's love for us is not dependent on us not failing. But we have to be willing to lay down our own will and ego and desires over and 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 over, and over, and over again. Romans 12 one says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And when we do, when we get it, when we really understand what it is that he has done for us, the work of the cross and the forgiveness that he offers, when we respond to his love by putting ourselves aside and obediently surrendering to him, Trusting that his way is higher than my way, that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, something amazing happens. When we surrender and submit to him and hand over everything and put our trust in him, he forgives us and he restores us. God is in the business of restoring things he doesn't want you he doesn't want to leave you broken. <laughs> okay? He wants to not only to forgive you but to restore you to a place where you are able to live and worship him completely unhindered by fear and guilt. Psalm 103:12 says he has removed and Josh read this one earlier. We really should have touched base. Anyway, God repeats things twice, so, so can I. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. John 10.10 says, the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. And the Bible is full of stories of people who were stripped, whether because of sin, circumstances, or even testing, but God always restores those who are surrendered to him. Now, shortly after the prophet Nathan confronted King David about his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and the murder, the arranged murder, of her husband, Uriah, David wrote Psalm 51. And so I want to read the first 17 verses of that. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognise my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgement against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Forgive me for shedding blood. O God who saves, then I will will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. For you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Because the truth of the matter is... Our lives can be in no safer place than in God's hands. But if you're going to really believe that, if you're going to truly trust him, then you, ha- you need to know him. You need to know who it is that you're putting your trust in. And so, Rachel's top four tips for getting to know God. Okay, getting to know God is much the same as getting to know a friend. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. And the word for friend here is actually the same word that's used in John 3, 29 to refer to the groom's best man at the wedding. It implies closeness and trust. So becoming friends with God. One, through constant conversation. You are not going to get to know God closely enough to trust him when it counts by only, uh, by only, if you only chat briefly on a Sunday morning. Okay, not enough. Friendship with God is built by sharing all of your life with him, making time to speak to him, but also taking time to listen. The Bible talks about praying without ceasing, Number two, through continual meditation. The Bible is full of verses that urge us to think about God's word, who he is and what he has done. This is called meditation. Quite simple, isn't it? It's not nearly as complicated as some people make it out to be. The very first psalm tells us to meditate on his word day and night. So what does the Bible tell you about who God is? Ponder it. Let what the Bible says about God and what he has done occupy your thoughts. Yeah? When you make a new friend, you think about them. Good. Number three, be honest. Can't build a friendship on lies. Be honest about your thoughts, your faults, and your feelings. God knows your heart anyway, so there's really not a whole lot of point to telling fibs. Yeah, okay. If you need an example of how to do this, look no further than Job, who, was, who openly vented his bitterness to God and God actually um, defended him for doing so to his friends. Or uh, David's Psalm 51, which we read, which speaks of God desiring honesty from us. Number four, be accurate. There is no point pretending that you're friends with someone that you're not. Well, sorry, pretending that the person that you're friends with is someone that they are not. Make sure that the God that you worship is the God of the Bible and not a figment of your imagination. You are not worshiping God if you change bits of his character in your mind to better suit what you want. John 4.23 says, but the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay, being a friend means knowing someone and being truthful about who they are. Okay. Last point. Our response. Worship is our response. It is our only possible response to the work of the cross. It's not about the lighting. It's nice. Yeah, we made that star. It was cool? It looked really cool on camera? Yeah. Did it help you all worship? It's not about the lighting or the music or whether the worship leader chose your favourite song or whether they pulled it off well or not. Worship is quite simply the act of humbling ourselves in awe of God's great love for us. It is understanding that He is God and I am not, that obedience might cost us, but that we would give up all for him because he is worthy. His love for us is so great. He is the mighty creator and Lord over all things and yet he calls me unworthy as I am and full of sin and frailty to be his workmanship. True deep worship is about putting God where he belongs. You have to want God more than anything else. You have to put him first, God up here in all things, not partial obedience where we choose the commands that we like and kind of ignore the ones that we think are unreasonable, inconvenient or difficult. God wants all of us, in fact, Jesus summarized the entire law by quoting the Shema and calling on us to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, your mind, and all of your strength, all of it, nothing held back. And we are actually gonna learn a new song, um, so the band can jump up. And it really explores this topic um, so beautifully. That just like Jesus going into the temple and overturning the tables, God is wanting us to strip back all the things that we have made worship to be that should not be there. That he is calling us to re-surrender our lives in radical obedience to him as a response to his love. Because we are his people and he is our God and we exist for his glory to worship him in spirit and in truth. So you may... heard the song you may not that's okay um it's called re-surrender put up our hill song in the last album and i'm just going to have to change over my microphones again so bear with me